White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 468. Emergency. That was the racetrack. There's been an accident. The driver's been injured. He's coming in now. Hello. I think the racetrack telephoned ahead that I was coming. Hunt. James Hunt. I had a friendly disagreement with another driver about his wife. Why? What did he do? I'd be happy to show you if you like. James can be a loose cannon. But in terms of raw talent, there is no better driver in the world. Why don't they make it safer? The risk of death turns people off. Who's that? It's Nicky Lauda. He's just been signed by Ferrari. They're both quicker than you and better at setting up the car. James Hunt is a proven winner at the highest level. Is there a question? Why are you just trying to piss me off? This is an incredible battle between these two drivers. about this thing with Nikki. Everyone has. James, do you think you can cope with the pressure? To be a champion, you have to really believe it. You're just a party guy. You're killing us out there. You're too far back. So quicker than all of you. I'm James Hunt's out. It's over, superstar. More powerful than even the fear of death itself is the will to win. Which is why I'm here, begging. You really think you can beat him? Trust me. Today with the rain, the most dangerous trick in the world. That all depends on how good you are in the rain. Let's race. Talk to me, James. Don't go to men who are willing to kill themselves, driving in circles looking for normality. Nicky Lauder, trapped in a searing inferno of 800 plus degrees. Responsible for what happened. Watching you win those races, you were equally responsible for getting me back in the car. Showdown between you and Nikki is all anyone wants to see. Welcome to Open Wheel, the White Rocket Entertainment Formula One and IndyCar podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-host for our racing shows, Alan J. Porter. Welcome aboard, Alan. Thank you, Van. It's good to be uh, talking racing again. We're getting closer and closer to actually seeing some. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking, yeah, it's good to talk about it some way. I mean, we don't get. To, yeah, we're, we're getting. Yeah, we are getting close to um, to the alleged time that they're both going to get going again. I think we're about well over three weeks away from IndyCar coming back allegedly, right? Yeah, June, and I about a month six. away from F1, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that'll be great. I, I hope uh, even if there's nobody in the stands and it'll be very surreal looking, beats marble racing and, and <laughs> as much as marble <laughs> has gotten us through the uh, through the virus so far. At least uh, we, we we have that. So we're here tonight as we continue our movie review series. We've done 
Well, last time we did Ford versus Ferrari, and we started the whole thing off with the 1966 Grand Prix movie with uh, Jim Rockford, James Garner. Yeah. And we're up to our number, our third racing movie, and I think we are, we are three for three in excellence so far. I think all three of these have been really, really fun. I'm afraid we're running out of really great racing movies, but all three of them have been really, really good. So tell the folks what we'll be talking about tonight. Well, we're back in the world of Formula One with mm-hmm. Rush. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, yes. 2013 movie. Um, or as it says on my notes, 2103. It's a little <laughs> far in the future. 2013 movie from director Ron Howard starring uh, Chris Hemsworth as uh, James Hunt and Danny Brule as Sneaky Ladder and a story of the 1976 championship Formula One season with mm. all the drama that that entails. Otherwise known as Baron Zemo versus Thor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the two actors. So we're going to talk about that in just a second, but... And by the way, it's called Rush, and it's this is so funny. I love this movie so much, and yet I can never remember what it's actually called because the title is so generic. You know, anything could be called almost could be called Rush, and I I just call it that movie where Thor races against uh, Daniel <laughs> Bruhl, and I and I can't ever think of the name of it. It's so funny, but it's but it is Rush. Yeah, I think the title actually comes from the book it's based on, which was called Rush to Glory. Ah, see, there you go. Well, that one makes a little sense, but Rush by itself could mean a lot of things, I guess. And I guess that's what. But I I don't remember there being a credit up there that says based on the book, blah, blah, blah. But Hmm. um, interesting. Yeah. Well, before we get into it, though, there's just a little bit of currently breaking Formula One news, and I figured we could just touch on it for our our listeners that would be interested in it as much as in this movie. So, what's going on in the world of Formula One right now, Alan? Well, silly season for 2021. (laughs) has actually started even before we've turned a wheel in 2020. Isn't that crazy? um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, normally you would expect it to kick off around this time of year, sort of June, July time is when Silly Season starts to kick off for the following season. But it happening before we've even seen a race in 2020 is really strange. And the, uh, the genesis of it basically was the news of the mutual breakdown of the talks between Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel which led to the announcement that Sebastian Vettel would be leaving the Ferrari team at the end of 2020, um, which led to 24 hours of speculation. And I would say some of the quickest game of musical chairs in F1 I've ever seen. No kidding. (laughs) So uh, from what I'm hearing, some of these talks have been going on for for a while, particularly Mm. the one between uh, with the, the young gentleman who ended up taking Vettel's seat at Ferrari. Mm. I believe those conversations have actually been going on for several months. So um, mm. on a just-in-case Vettel leaves and they could put that plan into action. So, so yes, Sebastian Vettel uh, is leaving Ferrari. For parts uh, unknown. We don't know where he's going. Yeah, or whether he's, whether he's going into another seat or whether he's going to retire, we don't know. Carlos Sainz is moving from McLaren to Ferrari. And then... Daniel Ricciardo is moving from Renault to McLaren. So get out of Renault, Daniel. He could, I, my yeah. my my dream was that Ricciardo would go to Ferrari. Yeah, but. I don't think that was going to happen. I don't think you'd, he'd he'd have taken a what would amount to basically an, a number two slot. Um, yeah, I know. I know they're saying it's not a number two slot for science, but yeah, he's there to be basically Leclerc's wingman. But Ricardo wouldn't have taken that. So Ricardo's hooked his star to McLaren and the fact that they're rising while Renault are dropping and the fact that in 2021 McLaren are going to be 
switching to Mercedes engines as well rather than the Renault ones they currently have. So interesting dynamics. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the 2021 grid is starting to take shape already, which is pretty amazing. So still a lot of empty empty seats there, so there's still going to be quite a few people moving around. But And, uh, and somebody's – who's going? we don't know who's going to Renault yet to replace Ricardo? Nope. No. Okay. No. Could yeah. be Vettel, <laughs> theoretically. It could be, yeah. It could be Fernando circle. Alonso. It could be Fernando. Um, or it could be one of the Renault junior drivers or mm-hmm. somebody else. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, so what do you think about signs at Ferrari? Do you think he's going to do well? Is he, will he do better than, say, Kimi Raikkonen, or will he do better than Vettel, or will he do as well as Leclerc, or what? I don't think he'll do as well as Leclerc. I mean, they put Leclerc on a five-year contract. Sykes is on a two-year contract. I mean, he's. I think he's there to basically pick up the points. I think what he won't do is get flustered and take his teammate off just because he's overtaking him. <laughs> um, oh, well, you know. Man. I mean, science. I mean, science. You know, at one point was was on the fast track, then they sort of. With, when he was with Red Bull, then didn't get promoted into the Red Bull team. Left Red Bull, went to Renault on loan and then moved to Renault permanently and then moved to McLaren two years at McLaren um, last year at McLaren he sort of really repositioned himself as the best of the rest yeah um, so Absolutely. you know I think this is a good move for him career wise getting him in a top team you know so far he's got one podium this should give him the opportunity for podiums and wins I don't think he'll necessarily go for a championship but I think he'll, he'll do a good job as being Leclerc's wingman and when Leclerc stumbles he'll be there to pick up the points um, maybe the occasional win too. So yeah, I think he's, you know, and it's going to be a young. He's what twenty five. So you know, potentially it could be this pairing for quite a while. Yes. You know, and he seems an amiable guy. He doesn't seem like a political animal. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he gets on within the politics and the uh, the atmosphere at Ferrari. But I think it's a, the next two years. It's a really oh, sorry twenty twenty one twenty twenty two. It's going to be a really good opportunity for him. I think to uh, establish himself in a top running team. I think I think it was a, a safer bet than Ricardo. Yeah, it's safer. That's true. I still feel like Ricardo should have a chance at some point at either Mercedes or Ferrari. In fact, I just don't see how Ricardo hasn't ended up in that other seat that Valtteri Bottas is keeping warm. I just, I mean, I like. Well, he's it. not a Mercedes driver unless he does something spectacular at McLaren. I don't think he's ever going to be in a Mercedes. I think if they move Bottas, that's that'll be George Russell that goes in there. That's, yeah, that's, that's true. That's right. You're right. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, that's interesting. It's just uh, it, it's silly season is one thing, but when you have uh, big names and the Ferrari, you know, spot and all that up, it really is kind of a big deal. I was hoping we could mention it a little bit. So, well, yeah, and at the moment, you know, they the in theory the the second seat at um, Red Bull is still open. It, that the only confirmed driver there is Verstappen, and in theory, the two both the Mercedes seats are still open. Neither of them have been confirmed. So there's still a lot, a lot of. Mm potential moves and surprises to come i think yeah yeah and, and we and it'll be hard to judge off of this season because this season is going to be so weird right it's the interesting thing is is them announcing it this early mm-hmm. before they've even started how much support are they going to get from their teams and their teammates yeah i noticed the uh, the renault boss has already started making snide remarks at, uh, about <laughs> ricardo and it's like <laughs> really Oh, Cyril's such a jerk, though. I was like, when I saw the headline, when I saw the headline that he was cracking on Ricardo and they've got another year together, I'm just like, yeah, this is so predictable. Because, because, I mean, yeah, the, the press releases were hilarious. The press releases were almost like 
you know, like the drivers were saying, well, it's I've I've had you know I've I've done well here. I've had a good time here. We've had a lot of success, and now it's on to the next place. Oh, but wait, first there's this season, and I'm like, <laughs> it just yeah. seems strange, you know. It's like everybody's a lame duck, and we still got to do the season. It's so weird. It's so strange. yeah. And the thing thing is, normally by this time of the season, you know, if you're ahead of your teammate, you're probably going to get a bit more support out of the team or whatever. But with this, you don't really know. Particularly somebody, you know, with Vettel and stuff from Ferrari, he's probably going to get no support. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Well, we'll keep an eye on it, and we'll do some more reporting on it here, and, and, and it'll be fun to see. But in the meantime, we're here tonight to talk about the 1976 Formula One season and the battle between two very, very interesting figures who... I think the reason that it makes, I think that there's really two reasons that this story made for a good movie. One was the contrast between the two drivers in, in every way, right? From personality to professionalism to approach to just everything about how they live their lives. That contrast is really compelling. And then two, you put them into a season where you have such triumph and tragedy and, and injury and victory and defeat. And I mean, it really was like, you know, the the, the guys on uh, the, the the two soccer guys on NBC that are so funny, Roger Bennett and 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 the other guy, they always talk about the 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 Premier League script writers were working overtime on this story, you know, like as if somebody made it all up, you know, it's it's almost too hard to believe it's true. And I'm like, the '76 season, I mean, the Formula One script writers, <laughs> they were working yeah. pretty hard to get everything to come together like that. Yeah, this is the one that. Uh you know, it's one of those ones where you say, "Oh, well, you know, if that was a movie, somebody wrote that in a movie, they'd never mm. believe it." Um, but yeah. it did make a really good movie, yes. Uh, and the memories of that, even though it is all those years ago, it, the memories of that season are still very fresh. And it really does is the touchstone for for Formula One on a lot of different for a lot of different reasons, some of which we'll go through. But uh, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's a great story, and it was really good to actually see it treated with. I was going to say reverence. That's probably not, but. The, mm. You know, the, uh, the they respected the source material. They respected the story. They respected the people. Nicky Nicky Lauda really enjoyed the movie. The Formula One community applauded the movie. Thought it was great. You know, so I think they respected everything about it. Mm -hmm. Some little bits of the rivalry were were overplayed and a little sensationalized. But um, on the whole, um, you 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 couldn't script a better story and actually they, they missed out i think one of the biggest areas of drama and we'll come to that and we'll talk mm. about that in a bit more detail when we get to it okay so, there was a bigger story here than the one they told oh well, that's gonna be interesting because i don't know i'm that's one of the things i was really looking forward to about this show tonight was not only getting to talk about the stuff i do know about it and how much i enjoyed the movie but also to find out i figured i'd get some tidbits from you of stuff i didn't know and so i'm looking the, and the audience will as well so i'm looking forward to that one other kind of preamble thing i wanted to mention before we really get into it this is another one of these movies just like grand prix where you watch it and you realize what this sport used to be and it really highlights how antiseptic and synthetic and plastic. I'm trying to think of words like that, you know, it has become. Again, I'm not, I don't want to run down modern Formula One. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. And I watch every race and I'm totally into it. But it's a completely different animal now. Back yes. then, you had big, roaring, polluting motors and, and they were, he called them the guided missile, a, 
a rolling coffin, you know. The drivers were he-men, and they rolled around. They risked their lives every time they went out there. And they come zooming over these somewhat primitive tracks and might hit a tree or run over a, sta- a person standing by. I'm not saying that's how we want it to be, not at all. But I'm just saying it really highlights today it almost looks like a video game. You know what I mean? Compared to this. Well, what they say about racing in the 1970s, it's when ra- racing was dangerous and sex was safe. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Well, think about this. You know, I said it's like a video game. It would be a lot... It, it, it has to be a lot easier for the video game programmers to make a video game out of today's Formula One or IndyCar because they look like video games. It's so contained. It's so buttoned down. Everything is immaculate, you know. Everything is safe. There's runoff areas with gravel and everything is brightly painted and clean and all it just it looks like a it looks like CGI. You go back and watch this movie or Grand Prix, it looks like guys out in the backyard on, you know, hot rods they've put together just zooming through the dirt and the mud and you don't you don't see any dirt and mud, you know what I mean? Anymore. Yeah, it was a very it was very visceral. Um, yes, yes, yes. In both the sort of the way the cars were driven, the way the cars were made, I mean, you know, they they were basically mm-hmm. tubes of al- aluminum molded you know welded together there was no carbon fiber or safety cells um you know you sat between the fuel tanks these huge great big tires the v8 engines or v12s mm-hmm. screaming yeah oh i love it this, <laughs> this is the year i fell in love with formula one oh, uh, 1976 yeah. is the year i was aware of it beforehand um you know my father was a was was a fan and stuff and you know we was aware of it on tv and it's sort of in the british dna particularly back then mm-hmm. um you know, and I used to build the models of the cars, and I diecasted the cars. I was aware of the cars and the drivers and stuff. But '76 is the year I first went to an actual racetrack to see racing, and I just was hooked. And then Formula One, um, yeah, um, with the whole because there, there was two things going on in '76. There was James Hunt in Formula One. There was Barry Sheen in motorcycling, who was a, became the motorcycling world champion, who was a very similar character to Barry, uh, James Hunt, mm. one of his best friends. Um, so those two two guys those two playboys with bikes and cars and stuff i just god this is the year i fell in love with motorsport (laughs) i heard that the that the bbc did a documentary on the two of them recently do you know about that yeah yeah i don't know about recently there is one and it's on youtube i've actually got it in my notes it's called playboys rule ruled racing yeah Uh, that's it yeah and you can it's on uh, racing legends when playboys rule the world and it's on youtube if you want to watch it so. Okay. Very good. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. So let's talk about it. How, how do you want to introduce this? You, usually you have a couple of lead-in thoughts, and I don't want to step on you. So go ahead and, and tell, tell the listeners what your uh, initial uh, lead-in about this movie is that we haven't already. I guess, well, actually, already. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm just going back to what you said about it being a script. That's, uh, when I was doing the research, I didn't realize this. This was actually written as a spec script um, by the screenwriter Peter Morgan, who had done Frost and Nixon, um, and he put this together just as a – um, a spec script to take around Hollywood. And it had actually almost no racing in it. It was about the two characters. Mm. It was sort of a Frost, Frost and Nixon type thing. Um, and it sort of gradually built into this bigger and bigger movie. So uh, that thing about you couldn't write a script like this, well, it's exactly what he did. <laughs> but he focused it on the two guys. Mm. Um, and in the end, you know, I think one of the things that they did here is, you know, they they, they interwove the 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 racing stories, like the the story of the season with the races very well between actual on-track action and what you see on monitors, what's re- re- reported. It sort of builds the season very nicely, I think. Um, and what I like was, you you know, you get the start with the introduction to, um, you know, Nicky Lauder about, you know, there's two things about 76 
that people remember. You know, one is the rivalry, um, and then the other is me. You know, what happened to me on the first of August '76 because I was chasing that guy like an asshole. I thought that was a was a great sort of intro to louder and it, the way it works. And then it sort of you get the jump back and the the build up again to Germany in '76. So I thought it was uh, very well structured. I thought the racing scenes were really well done. We'll get into those in a bit more detail. There's some areas that are a bit dodgy, but generally. Um, technically very accurate so i i don't believe this but there is actually a website that measures to the percentage how accurate movies are against uh-huh. the actual facts and apparently this movie came out i think it was something like 82.3 percent accurate or something okay um so it's it's pretty pretty damn accurate um like i say there's some areas i'll sort of pick out as we go through where it, it's it's embellished some stuff or miss some stuff and again, for me, there's one big hole in it, which I think they should have told, which we'll we'll get to. Okay. Yeah. But overall, like you said, we're three for three. This is, yeah, this this is up there with uh, Grand Prix, Ford versus Ferrari uh, mm-hmm. for me as uh, you know my top. These, they're clearly my top three favorite racing movies. Which one you put on top? It probably depends on which day of the week it is. But I think, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So I think I like this one better than Ford versus Ferrari. I like Ford versus Ferrari. I love the characters in it, but this one is just such a clear contrast of the main two. You know, it's it's yeah. a, this this has got a different chemistry and a different arrangement than than Ford versus Ford versus Ferrari. The two main guys were kind of antagonistic toward each other, but really they were more allies against these big corporate entities and the flunkies that work for them or ran them. Whereas this movie is really just like a chess match in a way, right? It's just, you know, this is this is the guy that parties all night and does every drug imaginable and still wins things versus the guy that is just the grinder, you know. He's just the yeah. study everything, precise, technical. So I got to ask you, which one of these two drivers do you – well, you're British, so you're going to, of course, going to like Hunt anyway. And I think, I think most people would say Hunt, but I think there would be a fair number of people that would say that Hunt is, an, is, is, is annoying, right? In other words, he's, he's too much of a cartoon character, and they don't maybe like the way he would treat women or things like that, you know? Yeah, it was a different time. Um, yeah. You've got to think about that, too. Um, yeah, I mean, like James Hunt. They hint about it at the end of the movie, but he was in Britain a megastar. I mean, he was like one, the, you know, one of the main celebrities of the seventies. Yeah. Um, so he was a megastar. Yeah, I, and he had natural talent. Um, I, I came to appreciate Nicky Lauder later on. Obviously, as I was growing up, you know, at this point I was, you know, fifteen, sixteen, or whatever, and getting mm-hmm. into F one. James Hunt was the hero. And Nicky Lauder was the bad guy. Right. Um, but uh, you know, as uh, later on, as uh, not, not so much now, but when um, we'll talk about it a bit at the end, but Nicky Lauder's subsequent career, I really started to appreciate what Nicky Lauder could, could do and did do. Um, and uh, I've actually been sort of a, a fan of his pretty much in his post Ferrari career. Um, so, yeah. I'm going to say uh, this. I'm going to run this by you and see what you think. Hunt, in, at least in this movie, the character version, because I don't know the real versions that well. James Hunt in this movie is if James Bond just went off the deep end and totally lost his sense of like duty and was just partying, doing all the hedonistic Bond stuff. And, and Nicky Lauda is like the Bond villain who decided to be a race car driver instead of a Bond villain. <laughs> can you see it? Yeah, I, I can see it. 
I can say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot. There's a lot of drama there. There's a lot of good character stuff there. So, well, yeah. Um, the other way was was often put. You know, was was uh, James Hunt was the Spitfire pilot and Nicky, Nicky Lauder was the uh, the Panzer tank commander. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Was was the other one. Um, so yeah, it, I mean, you got to remember again, seventy six. It's not that long since you know World War Two. There was still. Mm-hmm. you know uh some of that going on uh, and uh you know but uh yeah but the 70s you, you know you got to remember what the 70s was like it was you know sex drugs and rock and roll and uh mm-hmm. fast women and fast cars that's that's what it you know that's oh, yeah. what the 70s was all about so uh, yeah. I, oh by the way i will say before we get into the the, the racing i loved the soundtrack to this movie mm-hmm. Hans zimmer's score combined with all those hits from my teenage years that they played as the source music. That's I was true. like, this is brilliant. Absolutely <laughs> brilliant. This, this was just like a trip down memory lane for me, this movie. So. <laughs> well, I don't really know even where to begin with this one. I mean, do you have a, do you have an idea how we want to go through it? Because we, there's sometimes we talk about movies and we go blow by blow. And there's sometimes we just kind of look at themes and things. And I'm not, this well, one is well, interesting. I'm not sure. Well, let, let's sort of follow the rough pattern of the movie and we'll, I'll okay. talk about things. So, so we talked about, you know, the fact that it opens at Nürburgring and you get that you get louder setting the scene for the non-F1 fans about the death rate and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the rivalry and all that stuff I thought was really cool. One of the things, and this is just a, some personal things, and going back to we were talking about, you know, Grand Prix or this, I think this is where a lot of the difference is. In Grand Prix, you know, they attached cameras to the cars and did the actual footage in an actual at the actual races mm-hmm. and the character side was a bit weak here the character side is really strong mm-hmm. the racing is good but it's all recreated at two or three specific tracks mm. which they just kept redressing to look like the different locations so hmm. the okay. racing footage look look to me anyway starts to look a bit samey samey um and the fact that but one of the things I do liked is a lot of the cars that you see were the actual F1 cars from that season, which are now owned as historic racing cars, and they actually had the owners who currently own them driving them. Oh, um, wow. Which, thought, which was pretty cool. When yes. it was actually um, the two actors in the main cars, those were actually Formula 3 cars dressed up to look like Formula 1 cars because <laughs> they didn't want to put them behind a wheel of a multi-million dollar collector's <laughs> Formula 1 car. Um, yeah. And the interesting thing is, um, I don't know if you, you probably, the, the number 12 McLaren Hunt's teammate in the 76 season, yeah. that was actually driven by Jochen Mass in the movie. He actually drove his own car <laughs> wow. in the movie. Um, yeah. and there's a great story I read basically that when he, on one of the um, see, days they were filming and they'd finished filming and one of the uh, filming assistants was was sort of taking down the timesheets and stuff and she was like name and he's like Jochen Mass and she's like no no not your character's name what's your name love and he's like no Jochen Mass <laughs> that's awesome I kept um, I, I kept hearing uh, Mario Andretti's name being called and, and yes, I saw his and, car and, yeah, I, I wanted yeah, to was the, go ahead no go on I, I was and I never saw him and I just so bad wanted somebody to come up and be like hey I'm Mario Andretti how you going <laughs> never, never really got yeah. that yeah, no, I mean, you saw his car and I saw the helmet, but that's obviously the guy who owns that Lotus driving, currently owns that Lotus driving with the Andretti helmet. Um, yeah, for anybody that, that knew that sort of the grid there and the, the drivers, there were so many, again, like watching Grand Prix, there were so many names name checked mm. or cars that, that were such a part of my, you know, early days of Formula One fandom. Um, and just seeing those names and those helmets and some of those cards. What I loved about that period, um, 
I was interested to get your aspect of it is car designs were so different. Yeah. I mean, you could paint all that. You could paint all those cars white, and you could tell them apart. You could tell a Lotus <laughs> from a McLaren, from a Ferrari, from yeah. a Tyrrell. Well, the Tyrrell had six wheels, so that made it easy. Yeah, it would help. Um, which you can't do with the modern F1 cars. No. And what did you think about the the, the, the sort of the look and the, the style of the well, cars that you saw in the movie? Yeah. Did you see that? I will say this. I, you know, I have noticed the last couple of years. I'm taking more notice that the shape of the current Formula One cars does vary a little bit, like particularly the uh, the air intake thing right over the driver's head. Some of them are square, some of them are round, you know, that kind of thing. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head which are which, but I do know that, like, Mercedes is shaped different from Ferrari, shaped different from another. But anyway, but, yeah, there were when, when I was seeing the older cars there, there were three car d- looks that I recognized that I had seen in my life like on Sports Center or if I turned a race on randomly or on a replay or something there were three one of course was the Ferrari because it pretty much looks the same every year and always has more or less one was the John Player Special the Lotus yeah that 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 was the, that was the Mario Andretti car right yep Okay, I thought so because that's just so memorable. That black car with that gold lettering, and I had no idea who John Player was or why he was special, but I just <laughs> knew that that was a black car and it said John Player Special on it, and it just that just conjures up like the '70s or the early '80s, and like just everything about that era that just sounds like some guy. With a big droopy mustache and big hair and gold medallions and in in a in a leisure suit at a disco and everything. That's what I visualize <laughs> with John Player Special, okay? And the and the other one that I recognize because it's it was so ubiquitous back in that era was the one that has the giant letters Elf on it. I never have known what Elf is, but those were the ones I recognized. The others I had no idea. Interesting. So Elf is a French fuel. Hmm. So okay. it's the French national fuel. Uh, oil company so it's like bp or so or whatever okay. it's the french one um so that would be the matra team um and the tyrrells had uh elf sponsorship too um uh, and the tyrrell was the one with the six wheels um I never so did, noticed uh, did you notice that one no i missed with, that oh yeah okay so the one of the, the blue car had uh two four small wheels at the front um so now i'm gonna have to watch which, it again dang it <laughs> <laughs> raced a couple of seasons. Um, and by the way, do you know what John Player Special is now? Well, I looked it up tonight, and it's cigarettes. Yeah, cigarettes. I mean, this is the height of cigarette cigarette yeah. sponsorship, which is why you know the, the McLarens were all in Marlboro, mm-hmm. um, and they they were in Marlboro uh, colors for many many years. But uh, yeah, so and for Ferrari, so, st- Ferrari still has their um, their yeah deal they do with, yeah with I can't think so, of the name the the, yeah. the 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 big the big the big tobacco company. Uh, because they have yeah, that no, it's, stupid. It's still Mar- uh, yeah, Ferrari is, is these days is Marlboro and has been for a long time, but they just have the small logo. They don't have the name or anything like well, that. Well, they, they have Mission Winnow, which is a whole other. <laughs> yeah, whole we other won't get into that. <laughs> no, let's don't even go there. Yeah. So for me, that was one of the great things about this is I just love seeing all those cars uh, that I used to make models of and mm-hmm. pictures and stuff. And uh, yeah, um, so I, the, for me, that, that was a huge part of this movie, a bit like watching Grand Prix. Um, so mm-hmm. so, um, so the movie sort of re- introduces Hunt um, like six years earlier um, with a Formula 3 race at Crystal Palace. Um, 
that that was sort of interesting. And the show hunt turning up in his in a mini. Um, that's how he actually started racing. He actually started racing in minis before he went into Formula Fords and then Formula Three. Um, mm. They over they overplayed. This is actually one of the areas where they make up a lot because uh, Nicky Lauda was not in that Formula Three race at, at, at Crystal Palace. Um, oh. And actually, at this stage, he uh, and Hunt knew damn well who Lauda was because he was his flatmate at this point. Now, two of them <laughs> actually shared an apartment at this point. Wow. Um, so, so they were actually really good friends from early on all the way through um, right up until James Hunt's death. Um, so, yes, there was the rivalry, but they really did respect each other and were actually pretty good friends. That's um, interesting. So, uh, yeah, at this point, they, they were sharing a, sharing an apartment in London. Um so the uh, the famous Formula Three race at Crystal Palace, and it, by the way, they actually the the track at Crystal Palace has um, long been gone. It's not been a motor racing circuit for for many years, but it is actually still there. You can actually I saw a YouTube thing the other day of some guy driving his SUV around and retracing the track, and bits of the track are still at Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know your history, Crystal Palace uh, was the site of an actual Crystal Palace built oh, yeah. for the yeah World's Fair. Um, for for the park, it um, is where the Crystal Palace was in the the Great Exhibition in the Victorian times, right. um, and then they had the racetrack. The racetrack no longer exists, but they actually recreate they re- recreated this bit on a bit of the actual Crystal Palace track. So that was cool. Um, I'm just imagining um, but, I'm just imagining conversations you'd have had in that apartment. You'd hear you'd hear um, James, you left the milk at the refrigerator again. You're such an a hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, probably. Oh, Nicky, for crying out loud. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this race, um, if you actually want to watch it, it's really interesting. It's on YouTube, the race. Um, oh, yeah, I did found that a while ago. I haven't watched it yet, but I saw that it was on there. Um, it, there is a crash at the end with Hunt, but it's not Hunt doesn't spin and go on to win. It's actually this. He's actually taken he, while racing for second place. He's actually taken out in a really major, massive shunt by another British driver called Dave Morgan. Um, and Morgan ended up getting a twelve-month ban. It was um, for wow. taking Hunt out at the end of the race. Um, huge crash. So, um, but uh, yeah, if you actually want to watch the that actual F3 race without Nicky Lauder in it, it is available on YouTube. So <laughs> just just search Crystal Palace F3 1970s. 1970, 1970, yeah. Mm. So, mm-hmm. cool. Um, so that was cool. So uh, yeah, we get the, the then we get the, the louder background to contrast with. We just introduced, you know, just introduced the sex craze, Playboy and the Hesketh <laughs> team, and then we get the contrast with the Nicky Louder and his family. Now I gotta know. His, I've gotta know yeah. how did how does James Hunt hook up with like little Lord Fauntleroy and his entourage. Because the movie um, doesn't really tell us that. No, Hesketh was did want to go racing. He saw racing as as a, a fun th- uh, prospect, and uh, I think he 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 saw Hunt in one of the lower formula and decided to sponsor him. And they just became the best of buddies and sort of hooked hooked their their uh, together. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So. Um, which you know, while it was the lower formula, was affordable and fun and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. The, uh, I guess that I guess that makes sense. I just, it just it, they we 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 meet them all together hanging out. Yeah, and, I, and I'm like, well, why is he hanging out with this aristocratic guy who's paying for everything? What's the story? I really wanted to know the story there. So, well, you, you actually got me on that one. I'd have to go look it up again. But uh, 
as to when they actually did start to sponsor to, to sponsor James Hunt. I don't think it was actually at this point. I think it was maybe later on, Formula Two, maybe um, that he started to sponsor James Hunt. Um, mm-hmm. So, but uh, but yes, uh, Hesketh. Uh, when there, there was a Hesketh track in the pitch, you always wanted to go by because there was always uh, you know champagne and oysters and caviar and stuff and. They, uh, I don't know if you noticed their uh, their logo. The Heskist logo was a teddy bear with a racing helmet on with a little British flag on it. Uh, everybody, everybody in the UK had that. Uh, we actually, even years later, when Jill had her first mini, we had that we had that logo on the back of the mini. Um, the Heskist teddy bear thing was very well known and still is. Um, you can still buy Heskist teddy bear uh, merchandise and stuff. So, um, <laughs> all right. So we got Ladder's background, the whole thing of him, the family refusing to fund him and him going out and basically taking a loan and buying himself a Formula One driver is, is true. That's pretty much. Um, so that was an, I, I, another area where I thought it was a nice contrast that basically Ladder was what we call these days a paid driver. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he came with money as opposed to Hunt. Um, you know, Hunt, Hunt was still working his way up the ladder just on talent alone. Okay, he had a, you know, a rich sponsor, but... Um, yeah, it was uh, you know very much the the difference between the two that uh, basically you know Lauda jumped into from F three to F one by buying his way there. Well, Hunt had to work his way up, so uh, based on his talent, which is which is kind of the opposite of the way you would think those characters would go. Just because you know Hunt seems like the one that would kind of be like backed his way into success, while Lauda is the one that you know is such a workaholic. It's just interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting that, as you said, there's certain things, that expectations that you would have that don't quite align up with the characters yes. the way that you think it would go. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. And I guess that's the difference between it being real life and being scripted. If you did that in a in, in a movie, you can imagine in the writers' room meeting, they were like, "Oh no, that wouldn't be that character. This that would be yes. this character." And You're exactly right. right. Exactly yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. Um, so we get the '73, the BRM pre-season testing, uh, where Louder basically gets them all to re-engineer the cars for him and then goes out and beats Clay Regazzoni and puts Clay Regazzoni in the car and he goes out and beats the time. That's, that's pretty true. That happened. That was cool. Interesting th- it was. And I, I think the interesting thing there is, you know, Nicky Lauda basically got them to rebuild the car overnight. But by the end, but he stayed with the mechanics. He stayed with them all, all through the night. Mm-hmm. And he did have, they didn't really bring it out explicitly, but it was sort of hinted at. Lauda really had a knack of building lifelong loyalties with I know they kept this thing that you know James Hunt said to him at one point you know Nikki to get something done you people have to like you but Lauda was really respected pretty much from the beginning I and mean, if you were on his side and helped him and worked with him and he would work with you he really did build an immense sense of loyalty for those around him but if you wronged him boy you did not want to be on the other side but it was a bit like you know michael schumacher more recently has probably been like that as well that you know really built that sense of loyalty of people around him and lewis hamilton's doing it at mercedes and stuff like that so but you know ladder really did become lifelong friends with with a lot of people um he and clay regazzoni were lifelong friends and uh, a lot of his mechanics and engineers and stuff would uh, w- would stick with him throughout so um, and every time they really would- come out <laughs> every every time they would say Regazzoni, it sounded like they were saying Rigatoni, and I was getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, yeah, and then we get the intro of Hesketh deciding to go F one. Now we get this this we get the scene, and it's in the trailers too, where Hunt sits down in the car and says, "I've been waiting for this my whole life." That's complete BS. 
he had he had he, he had no interest in motorsports until he was about 18. He basically he didn't know anything about motorsports. He, he just a friend of his, a brother of a friend of his was competing in a mini race somewhere and he was there for the weekend and they were like, well, let's, you know, he tagged along when they went, his, his friend's brother went to race and as soon as he got to the track, it was like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So he became obsessed with that point. But he was actually um, en route to be a tennis player. Uh, he was a really good tennis player and he actually did play in the junior Wimbledon championships. So that's what he was on track to be, was to be a tennis pro, pretty much. And then... Uh, as to say, when he was about 18, then he went to a motor motor race meeting, and that was it. He was hooked. He went out and got a mini, and uh, partnered with somebody, and they started competing in the mini mini racing. So again, they, I've been waiting for this my whole life. Eh, okay, that's a, that's a bit of Hollywood, but uh, <laughs> I, I actually think the I actually th- think the idea of somebody being hooked at the age of 18 and doing it is a lot more fascinating than and then going on and becoming a world champion because that's pretty late. Um, it is. You know, to, to start thinking, you know, to start from scratch and get to where he got to in that sort of time frame, I think was pretty impressive. So, yeah. Um, but I, I think that would probably have been a bit more complex backstory to fill in there. So. No, it is impressive. Absolutely. I didn't realize that. I'm like, wow. Because, yeah, usually it's, there, it's like, though they've been doing it since they were like three or four, you know, they were they were out there in their in their stroller like racing the other babies <laughs> so it's it yeah not, not quite so much those days i mean nikki Lauda, you learned to drive on a tractor i believe <laughs> so but in it's those cl- days yeah they would be doing you know they'd, they'd be out doing hill climbs at 15 or 16 or whatever but yeah you should learn to drive on a tractor too it's good for your constitution you learn your skills uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna be doing louder the whole night i'm sorry just do you know yeah get, i was gonna you, say you got the louder one that quite <laughs> down quite well yeah so And we have to pause here for just a second to thank the patrons who keep shows like this on the air. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can join their ranks. Just go to www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O dot net, and click on the Become a Patron button, and you can go to patreon.com and sign up to be a patron. And for as little as a dollar a month, you get all kinds of benefits in return, including keeping our shows like this on the air. We have to thank the following folks who are current patrons. Matthew Flowers, Carl Von Drunker, Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson, along with Phil Amthor, Ben Spooner, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, William Glenn Matthews, Gary Grant, Brian Gray, Willie Carden, Tom Anderson, Susan Trawick, Logan Chilton, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Steve Trawick, and Richard Stevens. Then we have William Morgan, Emmanuel Seaman, W.D.E. Ritchie, Winston Body, Clinton Stewart, Christopher Stewart, Mickey B., Phil Davis, Joshua Corbett, John Otsuki, Preston Settle, Daniel Odom, A.U. Falling Up, Alchemist Kevin Smith, Clarence Alford, Will Summerford, David Hegler, Johnny Caldwell, Theodore Gary, Reynolds Wolf, Joel Beckham, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, John McCune, David Evers, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, and Rich, Rich Reimer. And then we have Darius Benton, Rob Morgan, Blake Heron, Hugh Anderson, Stephen Houston, Cato the Barner, Danny Flack, Papa Todd, Russell Milling, Kevin Canoy, Don Ziederman, Ross, Lane Middleton, Shannon Butson, Randall Walker, Shane Bailey, Chris Thrash, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, and C.T. Wayne. And finally, we have Jeremy Minton, 
Warren M. Wade, Spikey, J.W. Rice, Jason Albrecht, Mick Vigicana, Russell Souther, Paul Bankson, Joseph Eiliff, Justin Bean, Kevin Mahan, Stephen Wyatt, Trevor Johnson, Auburn Elvis, Robert Drain, Brandon Smith, Royce Alvarez, Thomas Brinson, David Smiley, Matthew Wagstaff, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, Darren Pyle, Chris Camo, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, plus Chris Brent Rumble and our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all so much. www.plexico.net, P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net, or just go to patreon.com and search Plexico or White Rocket. And now, back to the show. <laughs> so the one thing I didn't like here is when they get to the Grand Prix and, and they show the accident at Watkins Glen. Um, yeah. I thought that was unnecessary. I mean, yeah, you know, do, do the, the fact that the people are in the pits and there's an accident and the people in the pits react to it. They didn't have to do the gruesome recreation of Francois Seve's accident. Um, was I that the one that like was just like horrific to see the car sitting there and the and all that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I, they didn't need to do that. Um, so, and then we get to 74. We don't really get to see a lot here. This is really the, the, the meeting the girls section in 74 yeah meeting their wives the, the one thing i do like here is the uh, the bit of Brecazzoni um going back to ferrari and insisting louder went with him which is true and then you know louder taking the car out of the test track and pulling up in front of uh, mr ferrari and telling the mechanic that basically the car's <laughs> a bunch of crap that was um, great <laughs> so, so you can't say that it's a Ferrari. Well, it's still a bunch of crap. You know, it's that, that was after, well after have we just after we just saw having just seen Ford versus Ferrari, going back and watching this again, I was like, oh my gosh, you can't say that in front of Mister Ferrari, <laughs> even though he's sitting there reading the paper, not paying you any attention. I mean, we know you don't tick yeah. off uh, Enzo, but uh, I'm going to say that that's one of my three or four favorite little moments in the movie. I think we're. You said where they're meeting the girls. I'm. I'm going to say this now while I'm thinking about it, case I don't. So I don't forget. I think that my absolute favorite sequence in the whole movie is where Lauda meets his future wife, and they're out basically hitchhiking. I just love that whole bit. So. Oh, me too. I was actually just going to come to that. The bit with the okay. fans when they the, yes. the, they, oh. they pull up. And they completely ignore the beautiful woman. Yes. It's like, Nikki Lauda, Nikki Lauda. And she's looking like, who the hell is this guy? Yeah, she yeah. has no idea he's anybody. He's just some schlub that she's given a lift to who's yeah. criticized her car. So she's like, she's like she, she starts out kind of neutral toward him, like he's just some knucklehead, I'll give him a ride. And then she's actually kind of on balance down on him because he's criticizing her car that she just paid to get fixed and it didn't. So she's at like on on balance she more dislikes than likes him at that point and can't obviously can't wait to get rid of him. And then those guys come up and just fawn over him and like you said they just ignore her and fawn over him. That is like the dream moment, right? Just to have some some model. I don't she wasn't like a supermodel, but she I think she was like a a C-list model or something from what I understand. To have to have a couple of guys ignore her to talk to to like fawn on you and you're as as a great driver, isn't that just like wouldn't that be like just a fantastic <laughs> just unbelievable. I just love that. And she yeah, still doesn't love- believe it. She still doesn't believe it until he until he like kicks the floorboard, you know, the car out. You right. Know? Yeah. And I love the fame when he's driving slow, the two of them are in the back going, Nikki Ladder's driving my car, Nikki Ladder's driving my car. Yeah. <laughs> My car is yours, Nikki. Yeah. <laughs> it was an yeah, honor for you to drive my car. 
I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, so probably, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie, too. I think it's wonderful. It's yeah. so good. It is. I mean, and uh, it just shows how, you know, somebody can be... I mean, she basically would have never fallen in love with him if he was just some schlub and she gave him a lift. But it changes her very perception of him as a human being that he's successful and popular. You know, that yeah. is what stuck with me is that she would have not have ever given him the time of day beyond just the conversation they were having. But she completely reevaluates her own perception of him and his worth as a human being because other people value him so highly. And that's just really interesting to me. Yeah, and actually also I think partly his skill once he was, you know, he, did, he was driving fast and yeah. stuff and what he could do. And, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, she sort of reevaluated him as a, as a thinking person, as yeah. a, you know, yeah. So. That's great. Yeah, it was very cool. All right, so we then move to 75. We get Hunt in the Hesketh versus Ladder in the Ferrari. Yeah, that's okay. I, this is where I sort of had my note about the tracks. Which I, we talked about this with Ford versus Ferrari. The Ford versus Ferrari, they, they, they recreated the Le Mans circuit really well mm-hmm. um, in that. You know, here, it, basically, it was, to me anyway, it was pretty obvious it was the same few tracks dressed up uh, this was sort of black I, I know I, I looked it up it's black they use Blackbush Airport in Hampshire um, Snetterton which I know well uh, Snetterton track in Norfolk uh, Catterall Park in Lincolnshire Crystal Palace we talked about they did the Brands Hatch race at Brands Hatch and they used it and they recreated the accident at that little bit of the Nürburgring so um, yeah they, but basically you know they, they I, I didn't count how many races they recreated but what was it about seven or eight um different races that recreated there by basically you know redressing the stands and putting yeah. a few different advertising hoardings around um so yeah that that became a bit samey samey for me um well was the nuremberg ring on on location or were they fixed something up to look like it the the actual accident they recreated at that point but it was in germany at yeah at the nuremberg ring yeah they oh, actually okay. recreated at at the ladder's okay. accident they recreated at the exact point it happened Okay, I just didn't know if maybe that whole race was actually filmed in England or something, and they just uh, uh, no. I, th- I think the start was filmed in England, and some of the on-track action, and then they did some of it at the Nurburgring. Um, okay, and then like, the accident they recreated at the actual point. So, right, that's good. Uh, yeah, so we get to the end of eighty-five. Hesketh folds. Um, he's calling around for a drive that really happened with Emerson Fittipaldi leaving McLaren at the last minute to go off and run his brothers and his brothers' team at the back of the seat, back of the field. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, James Hunt ends up at McLaren. What I, what got me wa- watching it this time, the last few times I watched this, I thought the amount of swearing that the McLaren guys do, <laughs> that's too, that's too much. That's, that's a bit unbelievable. No, you know, they can't swear that often in the office and in the pits. And then of course watch Drive to Survive, and I'm like, these guys are nowhere near <laughs> to Steiner's level. <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth. Oh, I'm so, so glad. Yeah. Go ahead. I got a thought. Go ahead. I was just going to say, watching it this time, I was like, yeah, actually, this is pretty mild compared to what we actually did. <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned Drive to Survive, the Netflix series, the, the reality show, because that was what I – that occurred to me this time, something about that. I, I, I noticed it, it, the, they are too clever by half with the voiceover of the public address announcer all the way through the movie. And, and what yes. I mean is he's always saying the thing you need to know at that moment of the movie as opposed to what they would have been talking about at the race. You know, like Correct. 
You know, like they, there's just over and over, I'm like, they wouldn't have been talking about that. They wouldn't have been saying that. It's just so obvious. But they do the exact same thing on Drive to Survive, and it drives me crazy, too. I mean, in both cases, it serves its purpose, right? It, it, it effectively... It, it, yeah, it effectively, yeah, exactly. It, it effectively drives a narrative and lets you know what you need to know as a viewer now, but to but to masquerade it as a as an actual audio at that time is just insulting, in my opinion. It almost needs to be more like like I would appreciate it almost more if they would do like the NFL Films voiceover, where it's clearly not a play by play announcer. You know, at the at the Super Bowl, it's the voice of John Facinda going, and then the Packers dug in at the goal line for one last stand. But they present that kind of voiceover as if that's what the announcer is actually saying, and it just I'm just like, no, it takes me out of the movie, man. It takes me out of Drive well, to Survive too. Yeah, there's two, there's two things. I, I, one, there's that. Two, you can never hear the, the flipping PA announcer at uh, no. Though the, um, and actually, they use Simon Taylor, who does uh, for many, many years did the BBC radio commentary of Grand Prix, so uh, of the various Grand Prix. So that sort of fits. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the actual, it is the actual guy who did a lot of the commentary at that time. So that's pretty cool. The other thing they used to drive the narrative forward is the um, the constant pit uh, interviewer, um, which I figured out this time. I only hit me this time of watching it. That guy, the guy who's like the reporter in the pits, yeah. with the bald head, yes. That's, that's meant to be Sterling Moss. And I only, um, the, the, the uh, recently uh, deceased Sterling Moss, the greatest driver never to win the world championship, um, who okay. in the 70s was doing TV commentary. And there was a, there's a couple of very famous um, interviews he did with James Hunt, particularly the one when he says, what did it take to do that, James? And James <laughs> just says, big balls yes. on live TV. I went and watched um, that. That's on YouTube. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I suddenly realized it was like, oh, that's meant to be Sterling Moss. But they used him for the same purpose. And he made a few mistakes um, in naming things, which Sterling Moss would never have done. But right. he, they used him for the same purpose of the of those pit, pit lane interviews and uh, of it not being really something that they would talk about. At that point, it was there, as you said, to drive the narrative forward. So I think they were using both of them. They were using the pit lane reporter and they were using Simon Taylor as the commentator to sort of help build the story of the season i guess um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah which which was a little false but I, it didn't annoy me too much i must admit but um, yeah i love that actual interview they, they keep it after he says that they all kind of crack up a little bit and and the, he looks at the guy like are you still rolling can he he's like well, i don't know yeah, he can, can he say that there. i guess he can say that i don't know and then they kind of start over and he <laughs> says something different but i love how they they have like a little mini debate for a second on whether they can actually have that on tv or not and everything it was pretty funny yeah. He's like, well, I'm being serious. Yeah, that was cool. So, uh, and I actually got to go to that McLaren factory that you see, or ah. that they recreate in the in the old McLaren factory. Not not the nice modern McLaren yeah. technology center that they have these days, but mm-hmm. uh, but their original factory in Woking, I I did actually get to visit many years ago. Where an offshoot of McLaren was a customer of mine in my day job, and I got to go there a few times, which is always cool. Sitting in the in the lobby there, looking at all those Formula One cars. Um, but, do they? Uh, do that? Com- does that company make all their money selling supercars to, to billionaires or something, or do they have some side business that actually brings in the revenue? Because they can't be making all their money just off Formula One. There's no way. Um, well, they, they did. They're not at the moment. I actually just noticed a thing this morning that they're looking for funding because of the COVID stuff. But um, uh-huh. no, McLaren 
Um, originally, yes. Like a lot of the Formula One teams just made their money from Formula One. Um, not so much these days. A lot of them have, have spun off um, technology groups. So they do yeah. a lot of stuff in like uh, other automotive companies, aerospace design, road safety, um, high tech stuff where they take that expertise and uh, spun off into sort of different areas. Um, probably Ferrari is the only one that actually, you know, has a racing team that just is funded just to go racing um, these days. But yeah, you know, that's why they need sponsorship, prize money, TV money is to keep the teams going. Um, it's one of the big worries about this shortened season is they're just not going to, some of the teams and smaller teams are just not going to get the money that they right. would get. Right. Um, as part of a revenue stream to keep them going. Well, so, I just uh, I knew that they sell cars to, to the public. Yeah, I mean, but that that was something that, that uh, one of the later uh, owners, team principals, Ron Dennis, set out to do was to create a car company as well and sell supercars. But that that was a spinoff from the F1 team. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, that's good enough. So for, for a long time, McLaren actually made a lot of customer race cars too, IndyCar, Can-Am stuff um, mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah. All right. Um, so where do we go? Oh, so we get to seventy-six season. All right, we mm-hmm. get these nice montage openers of Interlagos in Brazil, Kyle Army, Arama, Spain. We get the whole. So we get the whole drama of Hunt's car being disqualified for the car being too wide. Mm-hmm. Um, that was. Uh, it was interesting. They put that one in. That was um, the argument. They changed the rules basically that year that the car could only be the same width that had been the previous year plus the width of the new tires but the new tires were narrower than the previous year oh interesting um and the argument that mclaren had and why they won the um what's the word i'm looking for where they took it back to court Um, they litigated it yeah i don't know they won the review it's not the word i need but they won the review um the appeal was that appeal thank you (laughs) <laughs> the reason that you can edit the, my waffling out, but yeah, the reason they won the appeal was because um, the stewards measured the the width when the tires were hot, and McLaren argued that the tires expanded enough to make it illegal. But when the tires were cold, they were just on the legal side, so which uh-huh. is why they won the appeal. But of course, in the meantime, they redesigned the car and made it bad. They moved up because what they did was they moved some of the um, oil coolers and stuff from the side of the car the inside of the car and actually completely threw off the balance and the aerodynamics of the car and the balance and it started to cause the overheating which is why you saw Hunt starting to retire with engine failures and things like that so um, yeah that was the impression I got and I wanted to make sure I was understanding it right was that um, was that when they had to redo it because of the violation of the size that caused the car to not be as good right Right, yeah. That caused it yeah. problems going forward. Okay, and then they finally got that corrected later in the season, it seemed like. Yeah, so by, by the time they got uh, to Paul Ricard, uh, they started to get it right. And then we went to Brands Hatch. And this is, to me, is one of the most um, dramatic parts of the 1976 season. It's what happened at Brands Hatch, and they did not cover it in the movie at all. Hmm. All you saw in the movie was James Hunt win at Brands Hatch. Okay. At the British, at the British Grand Prix. So I'm going to read to you, okay, from my book on the history of the British Grand Prix 1976 British Grand Prix okay so this is a little bit of a read but I think it's worth because so Lauda chose to start from the outside of the front row and most of the grid was rearranged accordingly fastest on the left Nicky blasted away perfectly to leave Hunt hanging fire as Regazzoni came through from second hugging the inside line into the first bend 
Rekazoni was blamed for the subsequent events, but TV film shot from the top of the hill suggests that Lauda shouldered a cross, thinking it was Hunt, charging up on the inside of him. The result was mayhem as Rekazoni's Ferrari crushed its left-hand radiator against Lauda's right rear wheel. The Austrian tore clear, but his teammate broadsided right in front of all the other cars. Hunt failed to clear the Ferrari, careering up on two wheels as the rear tires met. Chris Amon in the matchroom dived through a narrowing gap under the bank, and Lafitte and his Lige went into the bank. Now, wouldn't you think they'd have put in the in the movie the fact that a race where the two Ferraris took themselves out at the first corner, and James Hunt went up on into the air? <laughs> well, you know what though, if it doesn't fit the narrative that they're pushing for the movie then you can't use it but in fact i bet it was in the original script and they said this doesn't this does not everything has to advance the plot you know and that's that's just like a thing that happened and while it's very dramatic it does it does it really advance the plot okay well let me read on okay okay so the rest the rest of the team that uh, sorry the rest in the terrific display of grand prix driving the rest of the pack search clear chased and chased away after louder. Regazzoni limped into the pits, having gushed green coolant all around the circuit. <laughs> Hunt abandoned his car behind the new pa- behind the new pits with a broken steering gear, um, and the liche remained at the first bend, covered in dust and stones that lay about on the track. Just as everybody was thinking, what a shame Hunt is out, red flags appeared on the start line due to debris on the track, and Lauda, Depay, and Andretti led the pack, weaving to a halt between the pits and the grandstands. Okay. So now came a a question of who would restart. The stewards decided that no competitor who failed to complete the first lap would be eligible and no spare cars would be allowed. But the original opening lap should be forgotten and the race restarted to run its full distance. Hmm. Hunt, Regazzoni and Lafitte all appeared on the grid in spare cars and all three were ordered out of the race. A Hmm. swelling roar of disapproval boomed from 77,000 hearing throats. What it doesn't say is basically there was a near riot because they were t- taking James Hunt out of the race. Right. Wow. I mean, this, the crowd were almost get, coming out on the track. I mean, it, it doesn't come across here, but it was actually almost a real... Um, it says, the stewards were taken aback by the, ca- the crowd's hostile reaction. And while they wavered on a decision, the McLaren mechanics worked furiously to repair the damaged c- McLaren... Mm-hmm. An ecstatic cheers greeted its reappearance on the grid as Hunt got into the cockpit and the spare car was returned to the garage. So th- 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 this was all huge drama. The, the Ferraris took each other out on the first lap. Hunt went airborne. His car broke down. He was told he couldn't restart, but sat on the grid anyway. While they were the mechanics working in the background to replace, rebuild the car, managed to get the, the old car out in time for Hunt to, t- to, re- to take the lead. And then he went on and won. And what they didn't say in the, in the movie was he was won. And then he was disqualified. <laughs> this is almost a movie by itself. Exactly. And to me, that's, if you're going to tell the story of the 76 season, that's one of the most dramatic incidents. And it's actually, it's, it's literally the, front, the, the photograph on the front cover of the book on the history of the British Grand Prix is James Hunt on two wheels going <laughs> over the back of Rekuzoni's Ferrari. Um, so, you know, why would you not put that in? I, I guess to your point, it, it may. If you're looking at the running time of the movie, does it does it advance the plot? The the louder um, right. hunt rivalry, and yes and no. Um, but to me, to miss out what was one of the biggest, aside from louder's accident and Japan, it was probably the you know mm. the defining moment of the season as well. Just I, it was just a weird decision to me not to put it in. So. 
Yeah, no, I, I get that. I, I, I think it probably, I suspect it was in a draft, and I suspect that, like you say, they, the running time, they probably just felt like they had to uh, lose something, oh, maybe, and, and you didn't need it, oh, you know. Oh, or maybe it was too expensive to recreate crashes. and uh, Yeah, could be. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so that that's one of the things that bugs me about this movie. They get to the British Grand Prix, and it's like, oh, James won, and I'm like, ah, there's all this stuff going. <laughs> there's a but, lot more to it, yeah. Yeah, and then we get to Nurburgring. Yeah, I I find this bit hard to watch. It's like watching. I don't know if you've watched the documentary on Senna, but it's like when it gets to the end of that. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah, I know what's coming, but I don't want it to come. But I know, I know it's it's part of it. Yeah, they, they actually open with a sequence of a car crashing in free practice, and it, it seems to in the overhead shot that they show seems to go into the crowd area. But then when you get the close up shots, it looks like it's in the forest, and the guys it's in the trees. But I couldn't find any record of any car going off during free practice like the show in the movie. I, I, again, I think it was just to sort of reinforce the danger of that track. Uh, yeah, I, th- I agree. There, there, was a, there was a fatal accident a couple of weeks earlier in a, in a lower formula race. Uh, and apparently it was the 131st fatality at that circuit um, in its 50-year history. So, um, Good yeah, grief. It's, and and yeah. Lauda makes that point where he says, you know, we all know that this place in the best of conditions is barely acceptable. I thought that was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, there's, there were several things here. Yeah, one was the length. I mean, you couldn't have, you know, 14 miles, they couldn't effectively station rescue crews around its length. Um, yeah. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't get to various parts of the track quickly because they were deep in the forest. Um, it was, you know, there was, um, microclimates around it um you know it could be yeah. raining like spa, like spa it could be raining at one point and you know clear at the other um yeah and uh, and and also the other thing was it was actually difficult to televise a race there because of the length you know you couldn't cover the whole track so just from a tv point of view it wasn't but, um this is actually one of the areas where the uh, the sterling moss in inverted commas uh, commentator makes a thing he says that formula one drivers call this place the graveyard they never mm. did <laughs> uh, um it, it's it's known as the green hell. That was Jackie Stewart termed the, the phrase green hell. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a good line. I don't too. think they'd ever. Yeah, I don't think they'd ever refer to anywhere as the graveyard. That was that's just tempting fate too much. But um, yeah, right. Um, and the other thing is, Ladder was not as wasn't as on his own at the drivers' meeting as portrayed. It wasn't Nicky and a couple of others versus James and everybody else. That vote actually went down by one vote. It was just a single vote that they went ahead and raised. Wow. The, the movie made it look like it was like Nikki and a couple of other people against everybody else, but it wasn't. Yes. It was it it was a fifty fifty pretty much split decision. So, okay. Yeah. But I will say they did the, uh, the 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 car close ups. The in car action here is really great. Great racing action accident uh, action. Um, um, but for me, the the, uh, the recreation of the accident is scarily done. I mean, it's really well. On the whole, very accurate. There was a couple of minor things with it. Um, like I said, they even restaged it at the same corner. Um, so, um, but I, I, I read an interview where Ron Howard says he didn't want to use the footage, the actual footage of Nicky's accident. Right. He wanted to recreate it and use that footage whenever they referred to it because he didn't want to keep showing it, which is a little, little odd. I sort of get it, but, um, but yeah, it was a really scary um, and uncomfortable thing to watch. I think. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I know. It's like well, if you don't want to see the real thing, but you still, but you just recreate it almost exactly, and you see that. So what's the difference, really? Yeah, yeah. So, but it is, it is really the, the you know, 
the, the defining moment in Nicolato's career. So, uh, yeah. or really what happened afterwards. So, you know, you can't tell his story and not not include it. Any thoughts from you on sort of up, up to now, early part of '76 and the the accident and stuff? Yeah, no, I just I th- I think that once we get to the accident, I think it really gets interesting again because the first half of the movie is setting up the characters and the situation with the race and all that and why we should care. And then the accident is like where we really start moving forward with, you know, how does James Hunt react to it? How does Lauda's wife react to it? How do the fans and everybody, the reporter, you know? There's a, there's another one of those great scenes I love where the reporter asks the really rude questions of Lauda and then Hunt goes and beats him up. I, that was, I thought, interesting in that it showed how they, um, as much as they were rivals, and in Lauda's words, like enemies, he, he would call them, and yet they still would be protective of each other. Certainly Hunt would be of Lauda in terms of us against reporters, for example. You know, I thought that was really cool. I hate to burst your bubble on that one, but the Hunt beating up the reporter is completely made up for the movie. Oh, man. Well, it was cool, so I'm not going to complain. <laughs> I, I, it's one of those things where, damn, I wish that had actually happened. Um, yeah. Yes, that guy, the guy did actually ask that question in, in the press conference, and Nicky Lauder said it was the most insulted he's ever been in his life. Um, even years later when he interviewed he, he, he still sort of remembered that moment and that question um, so um, yeah and I think a lot of people did turn on that reporter um, good but no uh, James Hunt did not go take him out the back and him out. <laughs> it's too bad uh, but, um, yeah the, for me the, the, the parts in the, hospi- in the hospital um, I think this is where Danny Brule really came to the fore um, as an actor um, you know, Nicky Ladder has always said that him seeing the priest giving him the last rites was what gave him the strength and the impetus to fight for his life. It's like, fuck you, I'm not going like, to die. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the thing of, you know, him them repeatedly draining his lungs and stuff was just, ah, uh, Oh, yeah, God, cool. yes. Yeah. Um, that was, that was hard to watch. <laughs> it was hard to watch, but I think it really says a lot, said a lot about Nicky Lauder. Um, it was very indicative of his drive and his will and his strength and his no bullshit attitude is this is what needs to be done for me yeah. to live for me to meet for me to get back uh, for me to do what i do um you know and uh, so yeah i thought I, I thought that was great and then we get to monza um you know the line about you know james hunt's line about his appearance and stuff and what he's going to look like um I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, Nicky Ladder, he never tried to hide his scars. He never had plastic surgery. He never, mm-hmm. you know, tried to make it better. Yes, he wore a hat for the rest of his life. You know, he, he always had a sponsor's baseball hat on. Right. But but he never, never tried to hide the scars. I mean, it really, you know, for, for, for me, I could say, really the last 40 plus years until his passing last year, you know, whenever I saw, you know, Nicky Ladd for me has always been the guy with the scarred face. Um, and it's difficult. I wasn't really, you know, that aware of him as an individual other than the fact he was a Formula One driver prior to that. So, you know, when I think of Nicky Ladd, the image that I get is the guy with the scarred face. And I, I, that became who he is and as much part of his personality uh, that he never tried to, to hide it. Um, so I think, you know, um, it's, it's really impossible to think of a time when he didn't have the scars. I guess it was just that was just Nicky Lauda um, mm-hmm. going forward. So, um, right. I, I thought that was great that they sort of played on that even at this early stage. That they sort of made that 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 he, he that they showed that he had that attitude that he was going to carry these you know th- these scars with him going forward. So, yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so they talk about uh, Ferrari's immediate hiring of Reutemann. Um, that did not sit well with Nicky Ladder. He never really forgave them uh, for hiring uh, Carlos Reutemann. Um, because, they, I, you know, typical, typical Enzo Ferrari. I mean, he was like, well, this guy's not going to come back. I need another driver in the car. Uh, I wasn't even to the hospital. Yeah. 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 So, uh, and also, uh, Lauda did not, uh, basically, he never forgave Reutemann either for, for taking in the drive. Um, so, he, like I said, well, you know, he's one of the things where you don't want to get on the wrong side of Nicky Lauda and Ferrari and Carlos Reutemann both got on the wrong side of Nicky mm. Lauda for that. Even though in 77 he stayed at Ferrari with Reutemann as his teammate and went on to win the world championship, but he left at the end of 77. Um, he was never never going to stay there again after that. So um, Now, with he, he didn't actually struggle um, on his return to Monza like they showed in the movie. This is another area where they, they sort of played a bit fast and loose. Um, he, he, did, he did drop down the grid. He started fifth on his comeback drive, dropped to 10th behind the other two Ferraris. Um, then battled back up to fourth and made sure that he finished well ahead of Reutemann. Um, so, um, yeah, he, he didn't he didn't get the the wobblies and the, the double vision and the, as far as we know and stuff and all that. You know, he, he wasn't a danger to other drivers um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. at the start of the race and suddenly found the magic button to press to get his skill back. Um, <laughs> that was funny. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, they didn't do that. So, um, but. Uh, but the, yeah, I mean, the, the, nobody expected him to come back that quickly, if at all. So that that was, uh, you know, and he, you know, there is the things about you know when he took his they didn't show it in the movie, but at the end of the race when he took his his helmet off, the helmet was just full of blood and mm. stuff. So, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. 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 Um, which takes us to Japan. Yep. To so, Fuji. Uh, yeah. So uh, what they didn't show here is Patrick Head of the Williams team walking into one of the empty garages before the race and finding James Hunt getting a blowjob. No, no, um, no, no. Oh, God. That, that does not shock me in the least, and yet it does, <laughs> like, oh, no, no. Um, apparently. Allegedly. What a, what a, so I've read. Can't believe um, it. Yeah, like I mentioned Barry Sheen earlier. Barry Sheen had won the His World Championship by this point and was in Japan uh, with James Hunt, and the two of them were... Apparently partying with Japanese flight attendants the night before, which they sort of hint at because uh, they, they show sort of him rolling out of a bed with a naked lady in it and champagne bottles and stuff. They do. Um, yeah, so they sort of hint at that. It's interesting that they, again, just to keep the movie tight, but they, you know, there's no, they don't show any, inter- there's no Barry Sheen type character in here or something. Right. Which I thought would have been. Um, uh, so and also they, they talk about this in the movie and this is the thing I really remember this is the first GP that really had been set up for a global TV audience um, you actually hear um, on it part of the commentary track when when they're talking about the race about to start and you hear a TV announcer introducing the race that's actually a British TV announcer called Dickie Davis who basically did mm. the British equivalent of World of Sport um, I remember basically everybody Everybody being glued. That was probably in the midday evening time. Everybody being glued to the TVs to watch the race, uh, like the whole country. Um, so it, it was, like I said, you know, '76 was pivotal not just for the story, but actually, the, the, the race in Japan was the first one where the folks in Formula One went, "Oh, we might have something here," um, <laughs> and and where Bernie Eccleston started to sort of. See how you know if we sell the global TV rights, why aren't the teams getting part of the money? We should get together and figure this out. Um, so it, 
it, it really was the, the race that made them realize that Formula One could be a real global sport and a global property. Yeah, that makes sense yeah. because that's, yeah, they, they, they do point out, you know, everybody's, what is it when, when he's, when, is this, I feel like there's a moment here where they say everybody's watching your rivalry. Everybody's here to see this. This is yeah. why they're watching. It may have been that might have been though when it was. So I get the first raining race where they have the crash, and then the the race in Japan where it's raining. I get those confused. And by the way, having two races in a Formula One season where it pours down rain is just mind-boggling to me because I'm usually hoping for one, and we barely get one every year. It seems like. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you wouldn't race in in these, those conditions, you know, like they had in Germany and here in Japan. You wouldn't race in those conditions now, anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, even if it was raining, you would not race in the, particularly the Japan one. You know, it was, by the time they raced, it was late in the afternoon. The light was fading. It, it, you know, there was literally, you know, rivers across the track. And there was, you know, I mean, it was misty and foggy and stuff. So, um, yeah. So I actually think, you know, ladder parking the car, I think, was the bravest decision he ever made um, of, you know, realizing that it was too dangerous, that he, he'd risked enough already. Um, and like I say, and he went on to win the world championship the next year anyway. Um, so I, you know, I, I think that was the bravest decision he ever made was actually getting just parking the car and getting away, and not making excuses either. You know, um, I like the thing that you know the he uh, the mechanic says to him, you know, what should we tell the press? And he's like, tell them the truth. I just parked the car and walked away. So um, that was yes. cool. And, yeah. And, and the whole thing about Hunt being Hunt's the confusion over whether Hunt finished third or not that was. That was true. It did take a while for him to register, which is why he apologized when he came into the pits at the end of the race um, to the McLaren team because he didn't think he'd done enough to win, um, mm-hmm. but he had. So that that was that was cool. So, well, that made um, me wonder because they did they just not have it updated on the scoring versus what yeah. the TV had or whatever. I guess they didn't have it updated on the scoring, which is the only thing he he would have to go on. He was the only indication he had to go on was what was on the scoreboard. Right. Um, so yeah, um, that wasn't updating. <laughs> Uh, and he, you know, and he had no clue how many cars he'd overtaken and that in the in the rain and stuff. So uh, yeah, he, he he was pretty convinced when they pulled in that he'd actually lost it. Um, hmm. So yeah, it, it took a while for him to, to register. Um, and it, again, it was a great drive. I mean, the whole thing about the uh, you know the uh, the gear lever coming off, you know, ten lap, you know, and him driving and it cutting into his hand and the the the, the tire. Um, right. Getting a puncture and the tires going down and stuff. All. Tr- um, and then just to try back and uh, and your man Andretti won the race but um, you didn't you know but he did enough to, to, to get that, to win the world championship by one point so that was that was pretty cool so yep a big day so yeah the and it was it, it was interesting too that I did didn't did we see I, I've seen the movie like three or four times now but I get I, I didn't catch it this time Maybe I just missed it. Maybe I was distracted for a minute. Did we see Nikki Lauda's wife leave him too, just like Hunt's did? No. Okay. No. I was thinking for no, some reason did. that. They, no, they left. They left together in the helicopter. No, they were. They okay. were married. They stayed married through to the early nineties. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. So, yeah, because I mean, I, the, their relationship was interesting in all the way up through the end. There, in that. You could tell that on the one hand, what impressed her about him was his dedication and his talent and his winning. But on the other hand, she didn't want him to get killed. And so I thought that that actress did a really good job of showing that 
sort of the, the competing motivations inside of her between I want him to go out there and win the world championship versus I don't want him to go out there and get killed when he's already yeah. been hurt so bad once. And I thought that's, that was a very fascinating part of it to me. Yeah, I think they actually, from what I've read, they actually downplayed her reaction to his burns and stuff a bit in the, in the movie. I think she had a much more visceral I would response to it. think, his, yeah. His injuries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so that sort of leads us to sort of the post-race stuff where they mm-hmm. sort of meet at the, at the airport and yeah. start to get the hint, the hint about louder and him being a pilot. Because um, mm-hmm. he, he went on to, to, uh, to found uh, two, two airlines. At um, least. Yeah, at least. Um, so, yeah, was, was a big aviation guy. And that was a major part of his life for many, many years after he retired. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I mentioned earlier, yeah, Hunt really did become a mega media star in the UK and milked it for all his worth. Um, <laughs> interest, inter- interestingly, see uh, the, the commercial in there when uh, the Valvoline, uh, Havoline oil yes. commercial you see briefly. Mm-hmm. You see Chris Hemsworth in the car, but the voiceover is actually James Hunt. Oh, wow. So, oh, I didn't realize that. That's cool. See, I have to go back and watch the whole thing again just for these little tidbits you're throwing out. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's so, kind of like uh, reminding me of Rocky too, where he has these, he gets these all these. Uh, now that he wins, he gets all these uh, endorsements and stuff, and he's like doing these very extremely awkward endorse, you know, commercials and stuff. That was kind of funny. And did I understand that Hunt ends up like broke and miserable? Yeah, after they sort all of. This? Well, not miserable. They they sort of so that 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 whole thing, the barefoot with the flat tire tail that ladder recounts, was a little later. It wasn't so sort of the next time we met, but uh, yeah, Hunt did hit. So Hunt basically uh, raced for McLaren again. Then he moved to Wolf Racing, um, and then he retired mid-season. Um, basically, he'd had enough, um, and he was cheated out of his money. Some investments he made went bad. Mm. Uh, yeah, he had a problem with, it, with with the alcohol. So basically, there was a point when he hit a real low, uh, mm. when he was broke and, uh, and had alcohol addiction. It was Nicky Lauder, really, that helped him get back on his feet. Oh, um, Nicky Lauder lent him money. Nicky Lauder um, gave him advice and stuff, and it was him that helped him get on his feet. And then afterwards, he uh, did eventually get the job as uh, the color commentator on Formula One for uh, the BBC. And he and uh, the, commenta- the famous F1 commentator Murray Walker became basically a double act for many, many years. They were really well rated. Um, he had a legendary partnership uh, as a commentator with Murray Walker. Though apparently he would still sometimes turn up late uh, because he had a, uh, a hangover or he would, uh, there's, there's great <laughs> photographs of him basically tur- turning up on the grid in a pair of cut off jean shorts and flip flops and with a microphone to do commentary and stuff. I mean, uh, but gradually over the years he calmed down um, and uh, yeah, he 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 lived a very quiet life. Um, he had a he, he he would ride around on an old bicycle um, in London, and he had an old small Austin delivery van, which was his car. Which apparently one time when he he went out for dinner with Ayrton Senna, absolutely appalled Ayrton Senna. There's a great story that they were they had uh, they went out for dinner with uh, a, a journalist, Ayrton Senna, and James Hunt, and they were walking back to to a. Um, to where Hunt had parked his car and Ayrton Senna's walking around saying, which is your car? And James Hunt says, this one, and points to this little Austin delivery van. And Ayrton Senna's like, no, seriously? And he's like, yeah, this is my car. He says, oh, you should, you, should have, you should be driving a Mercedes or something. You should have sponsorship. You know, you're an ex-Formula One world champion. And uh, Hunt basically said, do you want to drive it? And Senna's like, 
Okay, so he gets in this little car and basically hammers it around this square in London, putting it on two wheels, comes back <laughs> um, and says, never again, and throws the keys back to Hunt and says, you should get, you should, you should get yourself sorted out. Um, so, um, yeah, Hunt did start to, like I say, he did the TV, he started uh, get his money back, he got into a stable relationship, had kids, um, and then, as they mentioned in the movie, he died suddenly at the age of 45 from a heart attack. Yeah. Um, so wow. um, I guess his life caught up with him. So he lived fast uh, and lived lived hard and died young, relatively yeah, speaking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Lauda, as I say, raced again for Ferrari in '77 um, mm-hmm. and won the championship, um, but uh, then moved to Brabham for '78, um, and then he retired in in the middle of the Canadian Grand Prix in 1979. Um, hmm. So the story goes, he he went out for practice. Uh, and came back in and said to Bernie Eccleston owned the Brabham team at that point, the guy who ended up owning Formula One, but at that point Brabham Brabham team, um, and said to Bernie Eccleston, um, I've had enough, I think I'm going to retire at the end of the year. Um, Apparently, Bernie Eccleston went, well, why don't you you leave now? (laughs) Um, And it's like, well, you know, if your heart's not in it, what's the point? So Nicky Ladder went, oh, you're right, gave him his helmet, took his overalls off, got dressed, left, and was gone. That's Nicky. Uh, after practice, yeah. So um, then in, in 82, he returned to race for McLaren, and this is when I really started to appreciate Nicky Ladder. He, he returned to race for McLaren uh, in 82, uh, won his third world championship, and then finally retired from racing in 85. Um, so he's the only one... To, uh, I was going to say, no, Alan Prost did it as well. I was going to say, he's the only one to retire, come back and win another world championship. I know he's the only one to win a world championship for Ferrari and McLaren, the two biggest, the two most successful yep. teams. Teams, yeah. He's he's one of the names. Okay, when I was not paying any attention to Formula One, which is pretty much me all the way up until 2016 was the year I started watching it, okay. So over the years like on sports center and, and things like that i would hear you know so and so did a great big thing at formula one in formula one today and the 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 names that i remember from back in the day i didn't know anybody i didn't know the teams i didn't know anything about it all i knew was it was that race that racing that kind of looked like indycar but they didn't go around an oval they went around corners that's all i knew about it alan and it was in europe that's all i knew about it and the names I remember hearing that I would hear the Sports Center guys talk about were uh, Jody Schechter, uh-huh. er- Ayrton Senna, yep. and um, Michael Schumacher, and, um, and uh, Nicky Lauda. Yep. That's, that's the ones okay. I heard. I never heard of James Hunt, never heard of any of the others, but I remember those four. So apparently Chris Hemsworth had never heard of James Hunt either until he read the script. Really? Yeah. Hmm. That is cool. So he, but he certainly must have embraced it and thought it was very, very, yeah. Very and apparently, because he it, he was filming Avengers at the time, and he actually uh, filmed oh, yeah. a scene on set at the Avengers. He, he from the script, he actually got somebody to film a scene on the Avengers set of him playing James Hunt, and <laughs> sent it to Ron Howard. So. Ah, well, he's the obvious choice. It's amazing they could have considered anybody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he so. he looks like him, and he does such a great job. I thought both actors were fantastic. They were, they were really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so just going back to Lauda, just to finish his career. So he retired from racing in '85. We mentioned he did the whole airline thing. That's a whole. That's a, could be a movie on its own. His, his whole mm-hmm. uh, thing and his flight with Boeing and stuff over the years. Yeah. Um, 
And then in 93, he did actually go back to Ferrari as a consultant for a short while. Then in 2001, he was team principal at the Jaguar Formula One team. Um, and then in 2012, he joined Mercedes and was with them up until um, he passed away last year. Of course, and he went under, underwent a lung transplant in 2018. And I'm a, I was always amazed it took that long before he actually had you know, lung surgery. But he, he did in 2018 and then passed away at the age of 70 in May 2019. Um, so... Wow, yeah, I didn't amazing. realize. You, that's crazy. Wow, lung transplant. Oof. Yeah, yeah. He's a, an amazing guy. So there's actually a new um, biography of Lauda, uh, which actually came out today, May 14th. It was actually published today. So I have my copy on order. Oh, okay. So there's a new uh, definitive biography of Nicky Lauda. And he's actually written, he, he wrote three autobiographies as well. So, um, uh, and Hunt actually did a, uh, a, ghost-written autobiography of the 76 season as well um, mm-hmm. which you see briefly in the movie which the is movie. sitting on a shelf yeah uh, which is sitting on a shelf behind me so um, but there's a couple of good biographies of, of Hunt out there there's some good ones of Louder um, there's some good there's three or four books actually just about the 1976 season uh, we mentioned the Rush one there's also the one I have uh, it's called In the Name of Glory uh, the greatest ever sporting jewel um, so mm. um and then there's one called The Playboy and the Rat, which is pretty good. Came out around <laughs> Playboy the same time. and the Rat. That's awesome. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's a um, good one. Playboy and yeah. the Rat. Uh, and like we said, there's a couple of couple of other um, things on YouTube. There's the Racing Legends about Hunt and Barry Sheen. There's a um, on Amazon Prime, there's Hunt versus Louder. There's a documentary called Hunt versus Louder. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, there's, you know, if you want, want to know more uh, or you want to watch the season, Get, get more into this, the people and the stories behind it. There's a lot of material out there that really backs up the story of this amazing 1976 season in Formula One and the, the two main principal actors. You don't like me, Alan. You think I look like a rat, but that's okay because rats are very smart. <laughs> <laughs> rats are very smart. Um, the last thing I want to say is I love that last scene in the, in the hangar, though, because I love the themes that they touch on. They, they kind of summarize the entire movie in that one like five minute ten minute conversation it's probably shorter than ten minutes it just but they they kind of encapsulate the whole thing because you know Lauda chides Hunt you need to be more serious you need to work harder you need to get right back at it and Hunt is like what's the point of winning if you can't enjoy it right. and it's, it's just that I mean in those two sentences those two paraphrased Sentences they really kind of sum up the entire point of the movie, which is that these are two diametrically diametrically opposed viewpoints in these two characters, and yet it works for them. Yeah, and what I also like is they both acknowledge each other's points of view and yes. sort of hint to the fact that they see each other's points of view mm-hmm. as well, and they're, 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 there right. is common ground there. And the fact that they both call each other champ, uh, sort of you know that thing at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's just indicative of that ongoing friendship and, and respect that the two of them had, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. You're right. It's a, re- it's a really good summation. And I said, again, actually also hints at the futures that the two of them had with Louder with the, with the flying and mm-hmm. Hunt with the, well, I'm just going to go off and party. Yes. Yeah. So. yeah. They, they really, yeah, yeah they, I thought it was a very well-written scene. And I thought it was a very well-acted and directed and everything scene. I thought it just... It was the perfect way to end that movie is after all the hubbub is done, you just get the two of them in a room, a basically empty room, uh, except for the party people, like you say, that remind you where Hunt's going and the plane that reminds you where Loud is going. And then you just let them kind of 
lay out, this is why I did what I did. Well, this is why I did what I did. This is what I think works. This is what I think works. We're never going to agree, but we can agree to disagree and respect each other because it worked for us. And yes. that's, that was cool. Yeah, it was. Very cool. Uh, so, yeah, I thought it was a, it was a brilliantly done movie. Excellent. Uh, a really good indicative. There is a great quote that basically when Nicky Lauda saw the movie, he, he went, shit, that's really me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I like Daniel Brühl a lot. I, I've always said, I don't know if I've told you to, to you before, but I've said for years that I want a good Napoleon movie and I want Daniel Brühl to play Napoleon. Yeah, I, He's a great actor. I would say this is like one of those where I saw him in this and it's like, wow, that guy. I mean, that guy, he, Chris Hemsworth evoked mm-hmm. James Hunt, but Nicky, uh, sorry, Brule was Nicky Lauda. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with um, that. And it was after that that I really started to notice Daniel Brule in other things that I've seen and going back and watching other stuff, realizing he was in it, and it's like, okay, yeah, th- this is the movie that really made me notice him as an actor. Uh, yeah, and it was brilliant. Yeah. So it was an absolutely, absolutely amazing um, turn. If that's the right phrase. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Well, that's all I've got. Any final thoughts from you about it? No, like I say, it's to me, it's just uh, it's definitely in my top three, and mm-hmm. probably top two, and uh, mm-hmm. hard on the heels of Grand Prix. Grand Prix still probably nearest and dearest to my heart. Um, this one has a lot going for it. Um, I think a little, little more realistic, a little less CGI, a little more variation in the on-track action, and it probably would have been number one. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely up there. Yeah, I was gonna. I ask you this. I it it made me think about for some strange reason, and not really a parallel. It just made me think about because maybe it's the only really but duel I've gotten to see since I've watched Formula One is it made me think about 2016 and Nico Rosberg versus uh, versus Lewis Hamilton. And yeah, very much I, so, yeah. And and I wish they'd make a movie out of that. It wouldn't have nearly the blood and gore and excitement and orgies and everything this one did. It would have to be more of like a little, you know, 30 for 30 documentary, I guess. But it really made me think about all that they had to sacrifice and how, you know, Nico at his absolute peak putting all of his concentration all of his effort everything it took every single thing he had and some bad luck from lewis hamilton for him to for him on the last race to win that championship and it just shows you how how what you know the 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 drama that this sport can bring it really is remarkable i'd love to see like at least like a like a espn 30 for 30 if they could do it on that but uh, yeah Oh, there are so many other Formula One stories that I think would make great movies. And that's, I'm sort of that, that's what I was going to ask you, is if there's another one that you think would be a great movie like this, because I don't know. Oh, yeah, no. I, I I actually, at one point, had delusions of doing a script around Nigel Mansell's story, which I called Red mm. Five, because that was his racing number. So I, I think I started on that at one point. I, I think there's, yes, so many others. Mm. There's always talk about a, a drama about that. I know we've had the great documentary. Um, yeah. But uh, there's, you know, things around Enzo Ferrari himself, Jill mm-hmm. Wilner stories. Yeah, there's, there are so many really good stories in, in, over Formula One history that I think they could tell. And I have noticed that, you know, racing movies and racing documentaries seem to be a bit more prevalent these days, which is great. So some of the drama of the sport is really starting to reach a wider audience. And movies like Rush, I think it really helped with that. Absolutely. Well, that's a good note to wrap up on. So... I suppose open wheel will get on out of here. What's what are we going to do next time? What do you think? Are, we, are you going to make me watch Driven? I will, but not next time. Oh, okay. What's next? You know? Uh, Have you decided yet? 
you want to do Steve McQueen's Le Mans? All right, I'll have to get a copy of it, but that sounds good. It's it's not driven, so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Very good. All right, well, the uh, Open Wheel Podcast will get out of here for another episode, and we'll see you guys probably in a few weeks, and uh, we'll, we'll look at that uh, the Steve McQueen movie. So thanks a lot, Alan. All right, cheers, man. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.